Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to your midweek half-term GCSE English Revision Pods. We've come in especially to record... Okay, we've not. No, um, we, we recorded this straight after the other one. We're just putting on a timed release. Exactly. So, we're doing that for a reason though, because revision at this stage, year 11, revision does not sleep. Yeah, and also you don't want to be overloaded with everything at once, but I think it's a good time in half term to get on top of your English revision, to start to get your notes in order, and what better way than listening to our podcast. Exactly, and also we would probably not, we'd rather be somewhere else right now, wouldn't we, because we are going to about to take on probably the most difficult poem in the anthology. You say difficult poem, I say worst poem. Oh, right, that's another way of looking (laughs) at it, that I was perhaps being kinder, I don't know, but I'm sure all of you are now... On board with what I'm saying, you all know which poem I'm about to mention. We are, of course, today talking about... Tissue. Yes. Every year, students on the day of the exam, I'll be fine unless it's tissue, so I hope to goodness it's not tissue. You better bring tissues then, in case it is. Yes. And with... <laughs> That's a terrible joke. <laughs> with, with jokes like that only slowing us down, I think it's important that we power into it and maybe let's try let's try let's try and get enthusiastic about this poem so, this powerful and meaningful poem yep that we analyse so the question we look at um, the serious point um, I'm not a huge fan of tissue myself as I've said but it does compare quite well with Ozymandias and that's what we're going to look at today um, there are some other comparisons we can look at in terms of emigre and things yeah I was interested when you said you were going to do Ozymandias because I've never actually taught it like that so I'm going to I'm going to sit back and let you uh, let you drive the, this the brunt, car. Uh, brunt of the work here sir but I mean, before we we do but briefly if you could explain your youth your connection you think to the emigre well i suppose in a sense it's sort of about where power comes from you know the idea that they both sort of explore um the what is behind the way we feel what sort of institutions play a part in how we live it's quite a tenuous thing i've, I've got a handout on it um I don't, know, I don't know why I'm telling anyone that because it's it's not particularly useful, but it's something you can do. But I'm 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 fully willing to be talked to Ander. I'm I'm willing by the end of well, this podcast. I'm I'm going to be Team Ozymandias. Yeah, I mean, well, my, my main thing is Ozymandias is one of my favourite poems, so it's something to balance out the the tissue. So okay. um, the question we look at, and after we've looked at the question, I'm actually going to give you a bit of context. I think it's really important to get our heads around these poems before we try to analyse them. Yes. The question we're looking at: compare the ways ideas about power are presented in tissue. And one other poem from Power and Conflict. You know, okay. you open the exam paper in the hall, you're like, ah, it's tissue. But then you also see, perhaps, as we've yeah. given an example of, it's quite a broad question, so it Very allows broad. you to take it. I like to think if they did give tissue, 
they would give a sort of kind question to yeah. go along with it, perhaps. And I think this is quite kind, because what, yeah. what we've got to think about before we write our comparative thesis is, what are both poets saying about power? Yeah. What ideas about power do we see? And I think there's a real similarity between them. But let's start with a bit of context, just to help you understand what they're both about. So to start with Ozymandias... Um, this was written by Shelley in 1819, and um, Ozymandias is, of course, the Greek name of the Egyptian pharaoh, Ramesses II. I would recommend there's a wonderful rendition of this poem by Brian Cranston that you can watch oh. on YouTube. If you type in Brian Cranston, he's the main actor from Breaking Bad, some of you will have seen. If you type in Brian Cranston, Ozymandias, oh, he, does a, he does a wonderful job. I mean, job. I based my teaching career on him. So he ruled Upper Egypt for 67 years in the 13th century BC. He defeated, defeated the Hittites, the Nubians, the Canaanites. So he hugely expanded the power and influence he of was a, Egypt. He was a formidable king, wasn't he? He was everything that um, you look for in your kind of ancient historical thing. King winning battles, expanding territories, building legends, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he was also responsible for building many of the monuments that now are the famous tourist sites of, of modern e Egypt. And he lived... He lived until he was 90 years old? Yes, I know. Yeah, pretty crazy when you think about it. So um, that's a bit of context for Ozymandias, just to know who he is. Mm -hmm. And it's based, and, and, and the inscription on the statue is a real inscription. It's translated slightly differently from how, how um, and we've put that translation on the handout. So, Tissue. Um, Imtiaz Darka famously described herself as a Scottish Pakistani Muslim Calvinist adopted by India and by Wales as well. Mm-hmm. And it's in, so she saw herself as very much a citizen of the world. She saw herself yeah. as having a, a lot of different um, aspects to her yeah. character and who she was. And in quite a difficult and elusive, that's a good way to describe this poem, so it means like it's hard to understand. In this difficult and elusive poem, I think this dual notion of her as Muslim and Christian is perhaps key to understanding the use of light imagery, which comes throughout the poem when we come back to this. Okay, so this is, a, this is perhaps quite a, a, a rare case within Power and Conflict where it is actually... Um, really worth knowing more about the poet's life because yeah. we've kind of in the episodes before now we haven't gone hugely into the poet's life I have don't we? Think you need to no but this is this is quite a, just, this, just a little point because and it um, relates quite well to the poem yeah. itself because in, in, in the bible for example we have this reference to the coming of Jesus the people living in darkness have seen a great light mm -hmm. so um, Jesus is kind of metaphorically described here as a light of the world okay similarly in the 24th surah of the Quran we're told that Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth so in both cases, the idea of light shining is becomes synonymous with uh, with the appearance of, of God. Okay, and I think so, this really helps us understand the dense and difficult imagery of this poem. And we're going to we're going to come back to that thought in a moment. So important going in to think about the fact that she was perhaps influenced by two religions in her life, both of which use light imagery. use light imagery to represent God. Okay, yeah. so let's get to our thesis. So to remind you of the question, compare the ways ideas about power are presented in tissue and one of the poem from Power and Conflict. Mm -hmm. So. Both Tissue by Imtiaz Darka and Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley focus on the ephemerality of human power and institutions. Okay. However, whilst Ozymandias centres around Shelley's condemnation of the arrogance of the tyrant Ramesses II and how his power will inevitably fade over time, Tissue is instead a far more positive poem, celebrating the beauty contained in the transitory nature of human existence. Well, I'm going to reel in some of your fancy language there. So I think what you're basically saying... Um, if I could use that hated word, basically, is that the to, 
Um, they both show this idea that human power is passing. It doesn't last forever. Yeah. Whether that's one person or whether that's a whole institution like a city or a government, these things pass. These well, things humanity. change over time, right? But then Ozymandias is a critical poem talking about how arrogant this ruler was and how eventually time had its revenge, time and nature yeah. claimed Even him. Even someone as powerful as Ramesses II is brought down over time. Eventually you will be claimed. Uh, but Tissue has... A more positive feel. It's uh, suggesting that there's actually... A beauty in the, in right. the short-lived nature of our we lives. We shouldn't worry too much about it because yeah. we're meant to be here for a short amount of so time. the two words I use that I think are quite useful in an essay that's all about um, how short-lived um, humanity is is ephemeral, so ephemerality, which means short-lived, like a mm. butterfly has a very ephemeral life, and transitory, which means the same thing. So okay. we're going we're to use these two words quite a lot today, I think. Mm-hmm. So my first paragraph that I'm interested in looking at is how both Darker and Shelley ex- um, explore the power of individuals or institutions that control society. Okay, so they're both looking at how strong, how effective things that control us can be. Yeah, I think it's a really obvious starting point. Let's start with that simple comparison. So in Tissue, we could talk about how the first half of the poem builds up a series of images that come to represent the human institutions that control our lives. So she references, of course, um, the Quran. Mm -hmm. She references maps. And she references the fine slips from grocery shops, so receipts. So we've got three aspects of life wherein paper represents control. You've got sort of religious texts leading to the the religious influence on people's lives. Maps, perhaps symbolic of our desire to get everything down on paper to yeah, and political know control everything. as well the borderlines she talks about how um, there's the borderlines the marks the rivers make so they're actually borders between countries are human made these are political right. things so I think I see the maps like a symbol of political power right okay and finally the slips the receipts from grocery shops representing the world of capitalism that dominates everything system that controls us and there's a really interesting metaphor that i want to analyze here i say really interesting it's not that interesting but um that's just my prejudice against the poem coming through Mm. so um um, imto docker says in um line 20 24 that the fine slips from grocery shops that say how much was sold and what was paid by credit card might fly our lives like paper kites. That's really interesting. So the the receipts are they themselves flying our lives? Yeah. So initially, and this is a great way of this is a, like we did in the last episode. I like to kind of do a bit of two way analysis of this. So mm. initially, it seems like the receipts are the kites that we are flying. Right. That seems perhaps the more obvious way because, of course, the receipts made out of paper, and the kites themselves are made out of paper. So it seems to be metaphor suggesting that that we control this financial system. Yeah. But when you look at the syntax of the line, when you look at the word order, actually, it is the receipts themselves that are flying our lives. That's like interesting, isn't so, it? So humanity is the paper kite, the, the the fragile thing floating on the wind with the illusion of agency and power mm-hmm. in the sky that's really tied down by an economic system that won't let them escape its control. So you could really explore the way that the poem is exploring uh, irony at this point in terms that it's saying that how weak paper is. You know, that yeah. paper is this really weak... But it's the material. paradox. It's weakened, mm. yet it's also has, has so strong. So strong. It's flying us. We are not flying it. We might make kites out of paper that we fly, but ultimately it is these little slips of paper that, that, that represent capitalism that, that fly, fly us. us. We become the paper. We kite are being flied. Yeah, it's a great metaphor. And I think great is a very strong word. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I think this is a lovely transition point to Ozymandias mm. because, of course, in Ozymandias we we, d- we don't see an institutions that control humanity, but we do see an individual. Okay. So we see a description of Ramesses the second. He has a sneer of cold command, a wrinkled lip. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a description of the words that he says on the pedestal. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Uh-huh. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Yep. Sounds, uh, sounds frightening. Sounds, sounds mean, a bit like you in a staff meeting. It does sound a lot like me in a staff. I, another like like the the, the Duke from uh, Ferrara, another aspirational figure. So um, let's start with the sneer of cold command. The mm. metaphorical idea of his command being cold and the connotations of that verb sneer mm-hmm. implies that the kind of power he has is not it's not a good power no and he's kind of abusing it isn't he cold command that alliterative phrase it perhaps puts you in mind of him sending countless men to their deaths or who you know and of course he literally would have done that because the building of the pyramids the building of these statues in Egypt led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of slaves who who had to carry these blocks by hand Mm, absolutely Um, and you know likewise the fact that this this statue is itself on a pedestal could be a metaphor for how he places himself above the rest of humanity right looking down on them and we see this of course in his words the idea that, that he's king of kings he's challenging God yeah that he sees himself as a god and this of course ties in kind of uh, contextually with the fact that that many pharaohs many Egyptian pharaohs did consider themselves gods yeah so it, it's it's perhaps for Ozymandias it's not meant to be a metaphor he's saying that he himself yeah. has that divine power has that godlike look on my works he might in despair right okay but, but so this moves us to a second paragraph quite nicely because mm-hmm. ultimately both poets show how human power is ephemeral Uh so it's short-lived so in tissue the second half of the poem um, draws upon this image of an architect building with living tissue um, uh, and um, and it's quite interesting because of course this architect seems metaphorically to be perhaps God right and what what the architect is building within the poem is um, a grand design that was never meant to last. Mm-hmm. So it's a celebration of um, ephemerality. And the idea of perhaps setting us free, that we as humans, we write everything down on paper so it will last. We build buildings with the idea that they will last. But we... that's not where meaning is to be found. Meaning is to be found in our own tissue, in the, in the bodies yeah. that, that in this poem seem you know, created by God. Created by a much reason. greater being. And that we should embrace and enjoy the tissue that we have, the tissue that we really have for the short time yeah, that we have cause, it. Because that is, according to this poem, part of God's grand design. So right. a great metaphor to suggest that the meaning in the universe comes from our ephemerality. You just called it great. I think you're slowly warming to this poem. I think, you, I think you're pretending not to like it. By the end of this podcast, I think you're going to... Uh, it's like those year sixes asking their, their dates out of Valor's Day when they bully the girl in the playground and then really like her. I suppose it could be a bit like that. It's a weird, it's a weird comparison. But no, anyway, I, I hate it. It's a stupid poem. But um, <laughs> let's, I mean, let's look at Ozymandias though, which is a great poem. So, oh no, before we get to Ozymandias, there's, there mm. is a second point we might want to make out tissue, which is of course light, the motif of light that we mentioned. This so, is the, the so, strongest part. Yes, yeah. so, so light is of course central in both Islam and Christianity as a symbol of God, as a symbol of Jesus. Yeah, and the fact that. All of these images of, of human institutions, um, the light shines through each of them. Paper that lets the light shine through, this is what could alter things. Mm-hmm. Maps to the sun shines through their borders. So the implication being that the power of these things comes not from humanity, but from some external light source, perhaps a divine light source that, that metaphorically shines through. That shines through. And perhaps to remind us, you know, that we 
in the case of a map that we might have felt we'd created a nation or we might have felt that we'd, you know, mapped out the um, the extremities of the world. And yet, ultimately, light shines through that paper and particularly shines through the borders. So, you know, the things that we try and create as these lines, this divine light, this God yeah. light just shines through it so easily. Yeah. I love it when God light shines through stuff. So, um, in Ozymandias, uh, this is perhaps an area of transition. Um, we might want to look at, actually, the very end. Okay. So, so Ozymandias is, of course, a sonnet. It's a structural point you might want to make. And sonnets are traditionally about love. But this is a very unusual sonnet. It, so a sonnet, just to be quickly, is... 14-line poem. 14-line poem, generally, pentameter. Generally divided into an octet, eight lines, and a sestet. Mm-hmm. And generally the ninth line has a volta. We'll put all of this on your handout. Yes. Um, and what happens generally, certainly in Petrarchan sonnets, which is a specific type of sonnets, is in, after that volta in the ninth line, the message of the poem changes. Mm. Um, so one of my favourite sonnets is Sonnet one. 30 by William Shakespeare um, he starts by talking about how ugly his, his mistress is like my mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun but then right you know after the vault he's like you know actually I love her though anyway Aww. it's really not, it's not a Valentine's poem I think that um, that sounds a bit like what's happening to you now with this poem I think you started <laughs> off the podcast with this incredibly negative tone and you're about to hit your vault you're about to hit the point where you realise no, you actually love it we'll see um, I think <laughs> but what I think is interesting structure about this poem is there doesn't really appear to be a vault there appears to be no turning point right the, it's, it's a poem that's unambiguous critical of Ozymandias mm-hmm. and it ends instead simply I mean um, Shakespearean sonnets end in a rhyming couplet um, but the, perhaps the most important two lines in this poem are the words on the pedestal but fundamentally important is that they do not end the poem following them is description of the desert sands right. nothing besides remains mm. round the cave that colossal wreck boundless and bare the lone level sands stretch far away so we're left with this image of how even the strongest human power, even human power that seemed to be greater than anything on earth and indeed was regarded by many as becoming godlike power, even that ultimately will fade and yeah. will dissolve In the face nothing. of the, the sands of time are the ultimate leveller. So here can we, we can see the, the sands both literally levelling the statue, leaving it trunkless legs of stone, but also metaphorically um, reducing the hierarchy the, the, of, 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 of the Egyptian god levelling everyone levelling down to everyone the same, same level same level we're all amazing the same, we're all the same in the grave yeah so um, <clears throat> the, how this is different from tissue is of course that this is not a celebration of human ephemerality this is a critique of human arrogance I see I see so very very different in yeah. that particular case. Yeah. Does that take us on to paragraph three? Yeah, so perhaps, this, this leads us nicely, so perhaps the main difference between the, the two poems, therefore, is that Shelley is criticising human power, mm-hmm. whilst Darker is celebrating human ephemerality. Ephemerality. Are they, in a sense, is there quite a strong connection there in that we could read it that um, Darker's poem is sort of saying, or sorry, Ozymandias is sort of showing what happens if we ignore Darker's message. Yeah, and you certainly, you certainly, you, you could see that. Is it? that more of a conclusion type? That's point, a nice perhaps. conclusion. Point, okay, I think. all right, so sorry. Let's hold that there. thought. I will. I'll hold it so, tightly. <laughs> so in Ozymandias, say for example, um, the irony in the sneer of cold command that Ozymandias showed to the sculptor. The, the irony is, of course, this is all that's left of him. The only thing that survived of Ozymandias is the work of art created by the sculptor. Right. And I think this is a potentially interesting metaphor for the poet itself and the poem itself. Because, of course, ultimately, 
Ramesses the second only remains in Percy's in Percy Bysshe Shelley's verse. Mm-hmm. The poem itself becomes a memorial, but it's not a memorial to the greatness of Ozymandias. Unlike the what what Ramesses the second imagined was this statue yeah. that would make him look amazing, but but actually what's been recorded simply is his arrogance. So the irony is that the thing that immortalizes him, the poem that will indeed make him last forever in a, in a sense is a criticism of him yes, it precisely. shows the worst sides of him not the best precisely. So, so the ultimate power therefore in the poem is the power of the artist and mm. the power of the poet oh, oh, wonderful um, and this leads us to tissue where of course we could talk about the fact the very beauty of um, uh, the, the very beauty of a meaning in the universe being according to darker that, that this is a structure that's never meant to last no so, you've, uh, you've spelt the word grand wrong there on the hand <laughs> I said though I'm sure, I'm sure no, pause. One, no one will notice as you quickly <laughs> scribble that out yeah sorry um, well it's, it's corrected now the, the yeah. listener won't see that no so um, we can talk about how you know um, she imagines this, this architect building out of paper Right. The suggestion being that unlike the bricks and blocks, unlike um, the things that we think will last forever, the, the meaning in the universe is to be found in the most fragile of things. And letting, I think letting go of the idea of anything lasting, that's kind of what she's saying, isn't it? You know, it would be stupid to build things out of paper because it wouldn't, be, wouldn't last. But equally, is it stupid to try and make anything last in the first place? Aren't we wasting by the very like notion... second. Exactly. We're wasting the precious time we do have. The precious time that, as it would be seen in the poem, that God has given us by trying to immortalise and write things down and make maps and all this stuff. Rather recording than podcasts. Recording podcasts. When we could just be appreciating... Yeah, we're here. I think, and that leads us to a final structural point about the poem. But of course, it's mostly divided into these four-line stanzas, these quatrains. Yes. But the final stanza is a single line on its own, and it marks a shift into the second person, uh-huh. turned into your skin. And who is your? The reader. It is. It is us. It's, so the, the ultimate meaning in the poem, the ultimate, um, the, she's celebrating the beauty and the fe- of the ephemerality, not only of an abstract notion of human existence, but of her reader's existence. She's Amazing. celebrating our ephemerality. We still can. There's still time for us to appreciate that. And ironically, what's the poem written on? Paper. There we go. Conclusion. There we go. Me out of out of the park. I mean, I'm still maintaining that the poem was written at the end of an anthology, and she's like, "Oh, I've got one more to do. What am I writing on? <laughs> Tissue. <gasps> Get down something on about paper." But you know, this is stuff you could definitely say in the exam. I don't think I'm sold on the poem. Are you? I like it. I think the more I talk about it, the more I kind of... I do I do hate writing about it, and I do find it tricky to analyse, but I don't know. It's probably just it's probably just because it's the end of term. I'm really happy. Everything. The world seems brighter. Well, let the sun shine through our podcast. Absolutely. As we bring this episode to a conclusion. Now, if you want to contact us, you can do so on Twitter at GRevisionPod. Give us a follow. Let us know what you would like us to talk about next. We are, we've got a few more poems to do. So the next couple of episodes, these two more maybe on poems? I'm not sure. But yeah. the next couple, we want to cover the poems we haven't yet then covered. We, then we want to go on to Macbeth. We want to go on to Unseen Poetry. We've got lots yes. of areas we want to go lots on to. Lots of work to do. Also, get us on the email, which is... EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com Let us know if there's anything that we missed out, anything that you need. Catch you next time on GCSE English Revision Pod. Have a lovely half term. I certainly plan to. Fantastic. You're off on your honeymoon, aren't you? I am. I'm going to Iceland. I'm super excited. It's going to be really, really nice. Um,